Amen. Well, good morning, Bridge Community Church. Man, I loved everything about today already. Like just the, um, the youth singing their, their, their worship um, as unto the Lord. Like how awesome is that? The key host, John said he was going to preach. John, you want to? <laughs> no, just this is our family, and it's so good. You guys represent Jesus well, and um, I'm grateful to, to be a part of this whole thing, right? Like every time we gather, every time we're together, it blows my mind to see what God is doing here. You know, I had an opportunity this week to dialogue with one of our missionaries that we support, and he's in, in um, Western Europe. And uh, he was asking how I was doing. I was asking how he was doing. And I found myself just bragging so fatherly, right, about like, well, of course, my kids, because that's what parents do. But then just bragging about our team, like the um, Joel and Abby, what you guys are doing with youth and Lima and Casey and uh, Krista and Cambria. And man, just the whole Linda, what you're doing with the women and Millie with Footbridge. It's just, this is an amazing moment that God has drawn everybody together. Andy, what you're doing in teaching the word. Like you hear it from the way that people share what God is doing. And so I want to honor God for sure, but I want to brag about the people he's using. And so thank you to our team who's serving him so well. So thank you guys. Yeah, so today um, we're going to get right back into the book of James, and um, I had I told you we'd be in chapter 2 today, and that was a lie. It was just a lie. Uh, after, after chapter 1, you realize there's more to cover. There's more to dig into, and, um, you know, why would we hurry, right? We got nothing but time here. We're just, we're going to do this thing. So, um, no, really, as, as I, I was talking with somebody after the service, and they were just sharing, like, hey, I want to hear more about the, this, this last half of the chapter. And I know I, I read through it. David, I just can't get over your chain, man. That is just something else, dude. Um, yeah, anyways, um, I, I just thought, I don't want to rush through it either. I want to dig into it. So if, if, if you would, um, well, <laughs> I think you probably will stick around. But um, we're going we're gonna to be in the second half of that first chapter this morning. And, you know, as, as I was just worshiping God, God put this word in my mind. And I know that it was a word that I had had a discussion with somebody about. And um, there's been a, over the last couple of years, really even more than that, I mean, throughout the history of Christianity, but I think culturally you're seeing a lot of people who are uh, walking through their faith and maybe hitting these moments of trial, these moments of um, what James calls, you know, like the, the, the stuff that gives us perseverance. And when you hit those moments, you sometimes miss what's happening and you find yourself totally disillusioned by your faith, disillusioned by God, like, why would God do this, you know? And and as a result of that, a lot of people have done what's called like deconstructing their faith. Are you familiar with this term? And, and in, it, in its purest sense, uh, deconstructing something is, is healthy when you're able to take it apart and, and without fear look at it and then allow the thing to be reconstructed according to what the truth of God's word is and according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, we don't have to fear hard questions. I love that Abby and Cambria had just shared like, hey, you want to come on this open space night, ask questions, whatever. Like we shouldn't be afraid of that. God's not. You know, do you realize that God's not like offended by any one of your questions, even if you feel like it's a dumb question or whatever else. God is the author of all truth and knowledge and he is not offended by that. He loves an honest heart. So that said, 
One of the challenges of that, that deconstruction, is that when the enemy gets a hold of that, there's no reconstruction. And so you're left like just spilled out all over the place. And maybe some have experienced that or there's loved ones that you knew or you know that walk with Jesus. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, what? Everything is questioned and it's all just messy laying out there and no one's there to help put it back together. I think James kind of addresses some of this um, in, in, in this letter. And it, he, the thing that I love about James is it, that it's simple. It's simple truths that there's nothing that you're going to read in this letter that you're going to go, oh, wow, I've never thought of that before. It's all about loving God. It's all about doing what God says. It's all about not procrastinating how God speaks to you, but actually listening to what he says and then doing it, being a person of integrity, not being a person with empty religion. Like these aren't new concepts, right? If you really think about the letter, it's what often people uh, accuse the church of not doing. James is addressing. And so for us as we read it, it's, it's not new. It's simple. And so in that, um, in that complex process of, of deconstruction, sometimes you can get lost in the complexity of it and not put yourself back together or allow the Holy Spirit to do that. And so the word that I wrote down um, as I was thinking, it was based on a conversation that I had with a good friend. And he said, you know what? I don't really like deconstruction. I like unbundling. And I was like, that's brilliant. That's so much better for my pea brain to understand, right? Like, unbundling. And, and this, is, this is what I think of when I think of unbundling. You know, have you ever, like, called your internet service provider and said, hey, can I get a better deal? And they're like, sure, yeah. I know you're paying a bazillion dollars, but now you only have to pay this amount because you threatened to, like, say, I'm going to go with another company. And now they're, like, your best friend and you can't get them off the phone. <laughs> And, and so they promise you like a super good amount. And you're like, yes, I want that. $19 a month locked in for eternity. Yes, I want that. And they're like, okay. But if you bundle your cell service with us, then we can do, we can make it $4 a month, but it's going to be $37 for your cell service. You're like, oh, okay, cool. And then, they're, and then you're like, but wait, that's not it. If you give us the opportunity to provide quality television viewing for you, you can get cable, you can get your cell phone, you can get your internet service, and then you're like, yeah, sounds good, right? You're, you're kind of getting bundled on when all you called for was a better price on your internet. And it just gets so complex because it doesn't even stop there. Then they're just like, well, now, now that you're with us and you have cable and, you know, your cell phone, um, you kind of need to bump up the amount of Internet that you're using. So that one $4 price is now $37. You're out there for 200 bucks, and you wanted to, you know, you're just like, what happened? <laughs> and then you're, then you're like telling all your friends what a good deal you're getting because you got it all bundled together. And so here, here's the point of unbundling our faith. James helps us to do that because I don't know how it happens, but through our experiences in life, we start to put stuff on, bundle things into the simplicity of the gospel. We bundle in the, the one that came to my mind, um, because I think as humans, we all struggle with it. We bundle in guilt and shame, man. We just like put that on. We bundle it in and we let that be our motivator. Like, I didn't do good enough. I'm not thinking like I should. And, you know, and, and we heap all this stuff on and it masks the true conviction, the simple conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? We're the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit today because, man, it's, it, it, I'm convinced that the things that the Bible calls us to, we just can't do without the help of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise Jesus gave. That's why Jesus was so excited to just be like, here, I want to fill you with the Spirit. 
And so um, I, I think we, we bundle some things in. We mask the simplicity. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's, it's a lot less complicated. And so the hope today and the time that we have remaining, and, and, and really I, I'm not sure how far we'll get. That's just an honest disclaimer. Um, I want to look at a, a very familiar passage in James and, and see um, exactly how this would apply to our lives. So are you ready for this? All right, let's do it. James chapter 1, in verse, uh, starting in verse 19. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person, everybody say every person. Every person. I, I, I couldn't help but stop, all, you know, in, in, in reading that, I, I was stuck on beloved because, you know, we, we throw certain things in like love you or how you doing, like these pleasantries. But in, the, in God's word, everything means something. You know, and, and for James writing to this group of early believers, you know, just 10, 15 years away from the resurrection, I and mean, this is early, and, then, and he's saying like, hey, uh, you're going through some stuff, there's persecution, there's difficulty, and he's scooping in beloved, you know, and, and you need to know that you are called beloved, you're called that, that's who, who you are, that's how God sees you, and when you're being told some possibly challenging or even difficult things from a place of knowing that you're loved, it's much easier than being told difficult and challenging things from a place of feeling like you're not loved. Do you follow me on that? And so it's important that we, we grasp that. Like, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person, every single person, and I think this is like, man, I know I've said this before, but if we can get this, we get it all. Be quick to hear, right? Or quick to listen, Slow to speak and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How many of you are familiar with this passage? How many feel like you've mastered it? <laughs> quick to listen, quick to hear, right? Quick, slow, slow. You know, and I always say we flip-flop that, right? We, we're slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. At least I have been in my life. And so this, this quick to listen in the context of the scripture is about listening to God, right? Listening and obeying him. And that's how it follows through the entire chapter. You know, that, that our, our, um, our first layer of interpretation is always to know what the text is saying. And so oftentimes um, I think that we can have these different responses to what we believe God is calling us to do. And this is not necessarily the, the wondering if that voice that you heard was your voice or his voice. This is just the simple things that the scripture tells us to do. You follow me? I think there are times God, and for sure, he leads us and guides us dynamically through speaking to us like steps of obedience. But in this regard, I think he's first off just saying, um, listen to what God says and obey him. And I was thinking about that, like what our options are when God gives us something to do and God calls us to be in line with his will. Our options uh, first is to, to just straight up reject it, right? Like we go, oh, you know, and, and part of the rejecting of it might be just rebellion. It might be um, difficulty thinking that God would ever ask you to do something like that or what would happen if you did it. The risk outweighs the reward in your mind. And so there is this like first layer of maybe you just, I'm not, not going to do it. But I think where most of us live is the second layer of negotiating, right? We know God wants us to do something, but we go to the negotiation table. And we say, okay, God, you want this, but, but here's where I'm at, right? It's, it's kind of like that, like when you're, you know, I don't know, back in the day, maybe you're trying to buy a car or something or whatever, and someone's writing the, the price on their yellow tab, and they spin it around, and 
how about this number, right? It's sort of how we would come to God. Lord, I know you want total obedience in this area, but I'm willing to give you this. You know, God in his goodness, he honors our hearts. Sometimes he honors even that negotiation. But he knows our hearts, you know, and he's looking for, he's looking for us to be quick to listen to, to him. And then the obvious one is that, you know, we would take that hearing of his voice and obey. And if I were to take a poll on the times that you knew that God spoke to you and you obeyed him, what the result was, I would say we can pass the microphone around and say, man, I couldn't believe that I took this risk, but I thought God wanted me to give X away, or I thought God wanted me to do Y in terms of sharing my faith with someone, whatever it was, even if it was huge. If I was to pass the mic around and say, well, what was the outcome of that? I doubt anyone would say, oh, I'm so bummed after. I just felt terrible and, you know, and it was awful. But there's somehow, and I think that if you read through that, the Bible and the big picture of the Bible, the expressions of joy, like crazy joy where there was victory in battle or when people are like, woohoo, shouts of joy and thunderous joy is as a result of the elation that comes to the people after obeying God and seeing God to be faithful to do what he's going to do. Do you, do you follow me? So if all of that is true and we know that in our heads, it would be like, wouldn't we want to live in that joy? And, and it's like there is this enemy of our soul. There's this, um, this persistent flesh that, that James is writing to us about that's teaching us how to give our all and let the Holy Spirit change us to be more like Jesus so we can live more obediently to the Father. And so I think that's the, the overall interpretation of where that's going. But I think that there's always a second layer because when we're obedient to God, it impacts people. Sometimes we can have sort of a selfish view of what obedience to God looks like. Okay, if I obey God, he'll bless me in this way. And I just want to be obedient to God so that I'm walking in his will in this way. But if we really think about what obedience to God does is it impacts other people's lives in a very real way. Because the obedience that God is calling you to is for somebody else. Because you're the extension of his hand here on earth. You're the conduit of the Holy Spirit to bless lives. And so when you're saying yes to God, you're saying yes to blessing other people. And you know what? If we're honest, some of us have, have reaped the, the fruit of other people obeying God in our lives. Whether it's those countless hours of prayer where they, they faithfully interceded on our behalf. Whether they provided hospitality for us or generosity towards us. We benefited. It was their step of obedience that benefited your life. It's a powerful concept, Right? And so I, I, I think that that would be enough to, to take away, you know, and unbundling all the other complexities that keep us from just simply obeying God. But in that second layer, there's also this quick to listen to the other person, right? Um, to, to being a good listener. And, um, and I, I thought, you know, there are some that just seem to be better at this than others. I don't know if it's like, just in their genetics or what. But there are just some people who their facial expressions, just who they are, it's like you just want to talk to them and they just take it. Like the more you talk, they're like, mm, and it's just so welcoming, right? And you find yourself at the end of that coffee time or whatever else where you have just like, blah, 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 blah. and you have like, you have like, like, like word kind of, uh, I don't know, you're just like afterwards, you just like, a, like, like, you're overwhelmed with the amount of that you spoke, and you realize, like, did I just do that? Like, whoa, like a word hangover is what I was thinking of, but I don't, I don't, but like, but then, but then the other person, you like think back, like, what did they say? Like, you like realize they didn't say anything. They just kind of like, you know. And so some are just really gifted in that, 
Others, not as much, you know. Others, maybe, maybe, like, you're talking to them and you realize, like, you're, like, a, like one layer in. And you just see their eyes go, <laughs> And then they're, then they're just kind of, like, doing uh, verbal or the nonverbal. We were talking about this in... In our, in our staff time this week about being good listeners, I think it was Casey, you were saying, like, we were asking, what's your pet peeve when you know someone shut off? And I'm sorry if I'm embarrassing you, but okay, good. So, so Casey was like, when someone's all, uh-huh, right? Like, when it's a fake uh-huh, right? When it's just like, you know that's not a real reinforcement to good listening. And so we all have that. I think that, that if we're honest with ourselves, that we all have these moments of being good listeners. We have these moments of being poor listeners. And I think that um, so often it's the ones that we love the most, the ones that we are closest to, that we can maybe shut off. Sorry, honey, sometimes. You know, but that, that we can. We can do that and be poor listeners. And I'm dead serious. Because we take for granted the people that are, that are closest to us. You know, and we, we employ this poor listening skill. And, and, and to not like over harp on it, but I really do believe the Holy Spirit has something practical for us in this, that if we're quick to listen, um, in other words, being good listeners, um, there is this blessing that comes because, you know, it's this closeness that we, we share. It's this great gift that we give to another person. We give a representation of Jesus to that other person. We give that, that undivided attention that you never know what's going to come out of that conversation. It might start over here, but it might end somewhere that's life-changing for that person. Whether it's the opportunity to know God or the opportunity to be free of something they've bundled on that's created like a bondage to them and not the freedom that we sang about today. You just don't know until you get into it. I had to ask myself the honest question is what is the root of poor listening? Whether it's poor listening to God or to one another. And you ready for this? I think I got it. <laughs> selfishness. It's selfishness. And you're like, dang it, man. I didn't come to church to feel bad about myself. So sorry. But, but, but it's true that there's something of all of us that we have this flesh bent towards, I want, to, I want my needs taken care of. Like I, what I'm thinking about, I read this stat that there's, we go through approximately 6,200 thoughts a day. 6,200. I don't know who did that study and how they figured it out, but I, I always like make sure it's like a medically reviewed thing. So it's like, you know, someone said, no, this is a legit study. But how that, I don't know. You know, so maybe you go through 10,000, maybe you go through 5,000. If you add on to those thoughts, the amount of decisions that you have to make in, in connection with those thoughts, you just get like all that's going on in here. And so in fairness, it's very difficult to give that undivided attention. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, there's this secret weapon that you have, a superpower that you have, that we find in Galatians um, chapter 5. And you know this stuff, but I'm going to share with you anyways. Galatians chapter 5. Um, this is where you get the contrast between the fruits of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is a super fruit. It has all these attributes to it. Like when you, when you taste of the goodness of the Holy Spirit, when you walk in submission to the Holy Spirit, you're given the nutrients of the Spirit to live out Christ-likeness, okay? And so um, when you hear these things, 
be careful not to, to do what um, Joel warned us of. In other words, when, when we were up here and hearing our youth lead us in worship, we can go, oh, how cute. You know, these young guys are leading worship. But no, these were ministers to us and bringing us into the presence of God. And in the same way with God's word, when if you've grown up in the church or you've heard verses that are quoted often, you can sometimes reduce them to like, a, like, oh, that's a cute verse I learned when I was a kid and miss the magnitude of what you're given. And so the, that's a fair warning to this passage. Galatians chapter 2 says, uh, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. Again, I think the proper teaching of the fruit of the Spirit is not like a pick and choose of this and that, but it's like you get the whole fruit when you get the fullness of the Spirit. And so, but that said, there's a good argument to say the thing you say last may, may have um, the most importance, right? So if you're in the Bible, oftentimes when it's like the last thought that one is left with, they realize, okay, this is an important thought. And when I look at that list, what is the last thing in that list that was brought up to us? Self-control. Self I knew I could count on Terry. She's on it, like every time. I'm like, yes. Self-control. What is self-control? It's built into the word, right? Simple. It's the ability to control ourselves, to control the impulse, to control the, the thought life, to control the response. Man, I wish that, and I've said this before, I wish there was that rewind button that you could push after you say something stupid, that you could just go, okay, I get five of them in life, you know, and I'm going to use one right now that was really dumb. And you can push it and it just would like go right back in. We don't get it. And so, so it's sometimes difficult to do, but, but when we read Scripture here, we realize that there is a superpower that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is self-control. The ability to think before we speak. The ability to capture our thought when we realize, okay, I'm fading out. You know, um, I, I've tried, as I'm trying to grow in this area, to just call it when it happens. So if I'm not quick to listen to somebody and I realize I've just faded out, I will often say, I'm so sorry, I just faded out. Can we start over? And I've yet to have someone go, man, you're such a jerk for fading out, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a, a move to be able to just humble yourself in that moment and the person can just re, you know, sort of reset and restart that conversation. And so I, I don't want to um, overdo it, but I, I, I want to just say this, that the, that the Holy Spirit is alive in us. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to choose what is right for the other person over what we want for ourselves. right? Let me say this again. The Holy Spirit is alive in us and the fullness of that fruit and gives us the power to choose what's right for the other person over what we want for ourselves. This is what Jesus modeled. This is what Jesus was famous for in the, in the New Testament. If you want to read Philippians chapter 2, you're going to find, is it, is it 2 or 3? I can't remember. But it's that point where it says that, that Jesus, um, he humbled himself. And he was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. But prior to that, it says this attitude should be the same that's in you that's in Christ Jesus. Right? And what is that attitude? to consider the needs of others as greater than your own. Super easy, right? Only possible 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. We were talking about this in our men's group on Friday, and we were realizing how, how what the Holy Spirit's showing us through James is so close to what he's shown us through Peter. Um, through these letters are so common and practical and, and simple to understand, but difficult to do. And so, um, you know, Jesus gave us an example of it. I know that you're, you're well aware of it, but I'd like to just read this, this one example. And um, yeah, I'm going to do it. Here we go. Um, would you look at, at John chapter 13? In the Gospel of John, again, probably something you're very familiar with. But this is the point in time where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, something that was so counterculture that the rabbi or the master would never wash the feet of the one who was the servant who had come to learn and sit under. But Jesus flips the script. And he says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and had come from God, was going back to God, and he rose from supper. And he laid aside his outer garments. And this is why I wanted to read it and not just tell it. Like, the picture of it is so remarkable to think of what Jesus had, like, I mean, premeditated. He thought what he was going to do, and he was going to show them out of obedience to being quick to listen to what God had wanted and, and, and putting this other person, these other people before him. He says, then, then he, he, he laid aside his outer garments, and he, he took the towel, and he tied it around his waist, this sort of uniform of a servant, and then he, he poured the water into the basin, and he washed the disciples' feet, and he, he wiped the towel. Um, he wiped their feet with the towel, and, um, and, and he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And so typical Peter fashion, he says, so Peter says, so you shall not wash, you, so you shall never wash my feet, right? No way, Jesus, I'll never betray you. No way, Jesus, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And then I love Peter. He says this, Lord, not my feet only, but wash also my hands and my head. Like, give it all to me. And Jesus said to him, no one who has bathed, um, the one who has bathed, excuse me, does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. And then verse 12, it says, and when he washed their feet and put the outer gar garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then Lord and your Lord and teacher have washed the feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example. You should go and do just as I have done to you. Just put in my notes, I had jotted it down, and I, I was like, I know these things. And just again, like, why is this so hard? It's so hard because of our selfish ambition. And James speaks to it in the third chapter. It's part of what he calls us to do in this call to holiness of taking off certain things and putting on other things. And what I love about James and what I love about what we're learning in it is it's basically the way I see it is like this. He gives us things to work really hard on. 
And in partnership, the Holy Spirit is working in us, transforming us to be more like Jesus. And, and sometimes we don't, we just want to like sing a song and pray and read a bunch and just hope that automatically we're going to change. Where when we read this, it gives us very real and practical challenges. Like now you, you, you got to go all in with all that you've got. The change doesn't come through your hard work, but the investment of you being all in and giving all that you can to put off certain things and to put on other things. Does that make sense? And there's something, as difficult as that is, there's something really comforting about that, knowing that I'm in partnership, I'm in relationship with the Holy Spirit who's changing and transforming, and there is hard work to do, but there's the power to do it through the Spirit. Another reason that it's difficult to do is because within our selfish ambition of serving others or, or, or being quick to listen to them or being quick to obey God is this um, idea of entitlement, right? I'm not, I promise I'm not going to rant about this because I'm sure there's plenty of rants that have happened around tables and whatever else because we all see everybody else's entitlement, but we don't see our own. This word entitlement, I'm going to give you a, a definition um, I think is, is good from um, this writer, Chelsea um, Patterson. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Sobolik, maybe. Anyways, she says this. Entitlement is the belief that we inherently deserve privileges or special treatment, or that we have the right to something. Entitlement shows no partiality. It will reach for life's greatest gifts and claim its smallest pleasures. If you were to sum up that definition of entitlement, you know, and as best as you can, I think we get, every generation gets frustrated with another generation, and the younger with the old, the older with the young, and we all claim entitlement that the other's doing it, whatever. But if you could, for a moment, take that aside and just think in your own life, and I think in my own life, as a follower of Jesus, there's this powerful concept that is so counterintuitive and counter to our culture. And this is it. As a follower of Jesus, we willfully lay down our rights. I got a bunch. I got a bunch on multiple levels, you know, as a citizen, as a pastor, culturally, you know. In some settings, I could be treated with honor and others extreme disrespect. But do I take those entitlements for the, the ones where I, like, you know, um, oh, I would like the finest seat, you know? Oh, you don't have a parking spot for me? You know, these are silly <laughs> entitlements. I'm the man of God. I've got the right to this, you know? So you, you could follow this into any setting and on a small level or on a large level. But the reality for every follower of Christ is we have willfully said, here's my rights. I submit them and lay them down to you, God. And I lay them down in exchange for your will. As I lay my rights down, I, I attune my ear more closely to what it is that you ask me to do because I've given up the right. Given, uh, for example, I've given up the right to be offended. That changes everything. So you have to revisit that all the time. You know, I, I, I was thinking about all these, these little things that, and this might sound silly as I say it, but even giving up the right to be right. That's one that, that really can be very difficult in the listening, slow to speak, slow to angry category. When we're quick to listen, we can 
we can are more slow to listen. We can hear the argument that's coming against us, and then now we have the right to be right. So we, we've shut that person off like one inch into their conversation, and we're already, I, I share this with our staff too, I heard one person say, we're, called, we're speech writers in that moment. So in the moment where, where that person has said something and we got the right to be right, we start composing our speech. So all we're hearing is this, Charlie Brown's teacher, and what we're doing is like, ooh, just based on that, I got a good speech coming to you. And then the, you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then when the person gives like a little pause, it's like, Brrr. now all of a sudden you're Martin Luther King Jr. You're just like, I have a dream. You know, you're, like, you're, you're throwing down like this eloquent thing that you feel like you've constructed. And that person's just like, noise, gong, <laughs> clanging cymbal. The idea of entitlement and the reasons why some of this stuff is so difficult, it causes us to have to ask the hard questions. What do I think I deserve? What is it not fair that they have that I don't? Right? And those, those two things, we've said it many times from this pulpit, um, the, the cancer of comparison, and I don't use that word lightly, Right? The cancer of comparison, the, the comparison of what somebody has that I don't, that I should have, or that I deserve, begins to eat us up from inside, kills our spirit, you know. Um, and the, the, those thought processes, we begin to evaluate that. And then, honestly, before God, going, I lay these things before you. And here's the goodness of God, maybe a takeaway and before you're too uncomfortable. The goodness of God is, is the more that we obey him, the more that we lay down our rights, you find that that joy that I spoke of earlier fills our hearts. We're living otherworldly, right? We're now living for the kingdom. Now we're living um, through a different set of rules that nobody understands. They're like, how, how do you bless me when I curse you? How does that even happen, you know? How do you, how do you pray for me? I'm your enemy. It's this freedom that comes over your life. That's the dream, isn't it? Isn't that what we sang a bunch about? So when you unbundle guilt, when you unbundle shame, when you unbundle selfish ambition, when you unbundle comparison, all the garbage that comes even in through your church life, when you unbundle that stuff, guess what you're left with? Freedom. And that freedom isn't the kind of freedom that you've been preached your whole life. The freedom to be who God wants you to be, the freedom to be obedient to him, the freedom to just go, it is well with my soul. I'm living for something bigger than this moment. I think that's part of what James is saying to us. And so, um, man, I'm, I'm kind of out of time, really. <laughs> and, I, and I think it's okay because I, I think I'd love for this stuff just to settle over us, right? I'd love for, for whatever um, the Holy Spirit is dropping into your heart that you would, you'd take it and think about it before I give you five other things to think about. And I'd love for, you know, our worship team to, to come back and, and join me if you can. And, and, and this is a family Sunday. We're together as families, right? And so the, the opportunity is here is we're spending some time um, listening to God's word, listening to what the Holy Spirit is placing upon our heart, listening for ways that, that God would call us to be obedient, that we would be quick to listen to that and, and slow to, to fill the space with speaking. And the final, the final one is that in that passage that we're, we're slow to become angry. It all ties together. When we don't get what we want, we get angry, right? Pandemic was classic for that because now all of a sudden, you're like, what do you mean you don't have whatever that you want to order right now? 
What do you mean it's back-ordered? What's a supply chain anyways? I didn't know that existed before this. Like, I just want something and it's right there for me. Like, you know, it, it helped us to see some of that. And so that when we don't get what we want, our entitlements and, and that selfishness rises up, we're, we're quick to become angry. There's a, um, a standard in Scripture in that, that slow to become angry. And I think it's found, and I'm going to just read it to you as they get ready. It, it, it says this, that in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32, it says, Therefore, having put away all falsehood, each, let each one of you speak truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And be angry, but do not sin. Which is a whole other teaching that there's, there's a, a, an emotion that can come up in you as a human that can give you the opportunity to lash out, to speak words of, of death, as James puts it, to others. Or there's an emotion that can rise up in you that you go, oh, there it is. I'm going to acknowledge that, submit it to God, and figure out what to do with it. I'm going to take that anger and do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with God. I'm going to take that anger and speak truth, but not in a cutting way. And here's what it, it, what, what it says is, um, and, and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't, don't store that stuff up inside. When you store up anger inside, you're like a, like a kettle that's like pushed down all that steam. It's about to blow. Don't lash out immediately. So you're like, what do I do? I don't know. I'm winging it, you guys. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> what do I do? You release your anger. You submit it to God. You, you, you do what David did so well in the Psalms. Read the Psalms. And, and, and you'll see it over and over again. He's mad at everybody. He hates people in, that, in those books. He's just like, I hate them. They hate you. I hate them. When are you going to kill them? Like, he just, he, but he doesn't live there. He speaks these things out to God. He writes them in a journal that has been recorded for time and, and that we can still read today. And, and what happens as he does that, as he writes that stuff out, he journals it, he speaks it to God. By the time he ends the rant, it's like, bud, search me, know me. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me to the way of everlasting. Like he'll always resolve on the faithfulness of God. And that's what will happen as we press through in that process. Does this make sense? And so as we continue on, and, and again, I promise, I said I was going to stop and I kept going. It's so classic. But it says this, um, verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief um, no longer steal, but rather let him labor, do honest work with his own hands that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And then this is the standard. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. James is going to hit this throughout this, this book. Only what is good for building others up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to the one who hears. That's the standard. Just speaking your mind is false honesty. Do you realize that? Sometimes we give ourselves the badge of honor. Like, I always speak my mind. That is not good. <laughs> but, but sometimes that is a, is a false virtue that we've taken on. Like, well, you know me. I always speak my mind. It's counter to what, what we were just now reading. You don't have to neglect what's happening in your mind. You can, you can submit that to the grid of Scripture. Is that beneficial to the other person? Or does it just make me feel better that I said what needed to be said and now deal with it 
and I walk away. What is that called? Selfish. You see how that works? And so as we, we, we bring these things together, um, we submit them to God. I don't share these things with you so that you feel bad about yourself. I share these things because this is part of humanity. This is what the Bible is teaching us. And so as we process through it, um, the, the end desire, the, the goal, the, the dream that we have is to be quicker to hear, more obedient, more submitted to the Holy Spirit. So I want to say as they sing this song, I think uh, is it whatever song that you sing, the one that you're going to sing, as they sing it... <laughs> It's going to make sense. No, I'm just kidding. No, as they sing it, listen to the Holy Spirit. And, and as we do, this area here is open for you. It's open for you to come honestly and go, God, I just give you my emotions. I give you my selfishness. I, I give you my, this, like this human stuff that you're transforming. I give it to you. And I give it to you amongst my friends and family. If you want to just come because you're like, hey, I just, I just want a touch from God. I just want someone to pray for me. Um, someone from our staff will pray for you. This is Family Sunday. Bring your whole family. Let's just bless your families. You know, that's our heart's desire. So um, Christian's going to lead us, and then let's just take a moment and, and let it settle in, and then you can respond as you feel led to the Spirit. Oh
you, if you want to just come and, and spend some closer time in the presence of God, if, you, if you're going through something that you need someone to pray with you, whether you reach out to someone that's nearby or come up to the front as they, they sing this again, please feel the freedom to just come and respond to the Lord this morning. Thank you that you call us beloved. Thank you that the message you bring us is for everybody. Lord, thank you for the work that you're, you're doing in this moment. I bless each one, God. I bless them. Lord, as we endeavor to submit ourselves to you, to resist the devil knowing that he has to flee, to draw near to you, knowing that you want to draw near to us. As we apply what we're learning, I pray that you would give us that superpower of self-control, the fullness of your Holy Spirit to be able to live out the character of Jesus to the people in our lives, those closest to us in our homes, those that you put us in contact with throughout our community. Lord, we just trust you when we say that we're in, that we want to work hard, knowing that you've already saved us by grace. But Lord, we want to put ourselves fully 
in that place of allowing you to mold and shape us. Thank you, God, that you never give up on us and you never stop working on us. We love you. We worship you. We honor you. We thank you in your precious name. Amen and amen. 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 God bless you. We're going to continue to be here to pray. If you'd like prayer for anything, feel free to come up. But um, God bless you. Have a wonderful week.
say, you do, you do, you do. Give the Lord say, it's you, it's you that moves me. When you begin to sing, when you begin to be, it's you that moves me. You without the talent, you without the performance. Oh, I'm so moved by your authenticity. Authenticity. You really move me. You really move me. You really move me. You blow me away. You blow me away. Says you blow him away. <laughs> you blow him away. When you just be who you were meant to be, his heart is moved. His heart is moved by you. <laughs> 